0: The things that are taking place here, and last week, I want to just kind of continue with some information, because I feel it's really important. Last week, we had Rachel Washington here with us. What an amazing spirit God's placed inside of her. She actually lives in Minnesota, where she serves on the staff as an executive pastor a worship leader. And I shared with you that her dad, good friend, worked with him for three years at Promise Keepers and some, some things after that. But she came to really let us know about the Release Women's Conference. Now, I tell you this because, one, I'm a fan of that. I really am. But it overlaps. There's a men's conference at... Uh, Pastor Jack sir, we heard him uh, several months ago share the word with us, amazing word, and so forth. But at his church, there's a men's event. I, I put out some information on it, but let me just be real clear about this as your pastor. Are you ready? Men, that would be all of us guys, the women's event takes priority over us going to this other one. So we have the only way your wife can come to the release is for you to be doing something at home whether that's kids or I don't know rearranging furniture painting the house whatever she's got for you that she would have to have done on that Saturday for her to come to this I want to encourage you that we need to put a priority on this opportunity for this day-long experience for our ladies that not just have we said, yes, we want to host. We're not doing that. We are partnering with Rachel Washington and that ministry. So, guys, we've got an opportunity here to really tell our ladies, not only is that event important, but they're that important that we'll do whatever we need to do so that they can attend that day. I think it's gonna be powerful. You never know what's gonna happen, guys, on something like this. And I, I love it when I I relate something to Andrew and he says, yeah, Chuck, you've shared that story before. And I said, well, it had to be a long time ago, but here's the deal. At my age, I get to share a lot of things again for the very first time. Some of you got that, didn't you, okay? But there was a story that uh, Billy and I were in, in Fort Lewis, Washington, and one of the things that Billy said was, I was traveling an awful lot with an Army Ranger battalion, and she said, but this weekend right here, there's a women's event from Friday night to Sunday, and she says, I really need you home. We had two young guys, and she said, I need you to be home with the guys. And I said, sure. She didn't ask me to babysit, because dads, we don't babysit our own kids. You get that? We're dads. That's what we do. She says, I need you to to be home. And by the way, our grandkids, we don't babysit them either. Okay. So bottom line is, uh, I said, sure. Well, then my wife says, oh, by the way, this is a day later, there's some other kids whose dads are not going to get off on time to be able to go, you know, to pick them up. So I told them you'd pick them up. So the number jumps. And to the point that we didn't even have a car to take them off. She says, you just go to the daycare center afterwards and there will be, all the kids will be there and there'll be a van with keys. Leave your car there and take the van. I said, sure. Well, among them, it turns out there was a young lady there whose husband was traveling, two young kids, about a four and a two-year-old, and uh, (laughs) she couldn't go to it. And she told the women's group, I can't go to this because I don't have anybody that will watch a four and a two-year-old. And my loving bride says, Well, my husband will. True story. Okay. So the next thing she comes back and says, Oh, by the way, you're going to have a two year old and a four year old. And I'm thinking, till their mom or, until their dad picks them up like the others, she goes, No, they're staying till Sunday with you. Well, the story was, I mean, I get them there, and I get everybody the house, I got pizza going, everybody is doing great, I'm thinking the door, somebody will be knocking at the door with that husband of the year award, it's got to happen, you know what I mean? By the way, the Husband of the Year Award, frankly, I think it's like the Loch Ness Monster. There are some that say they've seen it, but I think they're Photoshopped. But don't worry about that. So anyway, all the dads pick up most of them, except here we are with my two sons and then Janelle and Harvey, four and a two-year-old. Everything's going great. A little bit through the evening, Janelle comes up, four-year-old, cute as she can be. and She goes, I take my brother Harvey now and we go home and see my mom. And I said, no, honey you're going to stay here. Your mom is with Miss Billy. She goes, no, no, no. You really, really, really don't understand me. I take Harvey now and I go home to see my mother. And so I walked her through this whole thing and it took another piece of pizza and some candy, I think. And as we get to bedtime, I just made pallets and I just took one room and I had our two boys in there and I had Harvey and Janelle. And again, I take a deep breath. They're all laying down. They're all ready to sleep. And then there is this blood-curdling scream, followed by another one, and then they're all screaming. And it was Harvey that kind of woke up and realized he wasn't at his house with his mother, and then Janelle screams and so forth, so I rushed get them. I spent the night sleeping. We have a couch and a love seat with one of them sleeping this way, one of them this way, me sleeping down here, holding both of their hands through the night for Friday night and Saturday night. That's how we got through it. Now... Before you think I'm a hero, my wife set that one up. I wouldn't have done that on my own, so don't be silly. Thirteen, fourteen years later, we're doing a rites of passage in Seoul, Korea. The chaplain announces to the Protestant women of the chapel that there's this guy named Stecker coming over from ministry and to lead them. And a lady says, say that name again. And he says, it's a guy named Chuck Stecker. In fact, he served in Korea here, this and that. And he said, All of a sudden, this came over her, and she said, Ladies, let me just tell you something. 13, 14 years ago, the only way I could go to a women's conference was if someone took care of my four year old and my two year old. And she knew I was crazy then, and she knew I was crazy afterwards, but crazy's good. I'm okay with that. And she said, And he took care of my two kids for the weekend. And then she said, that was the weekend I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And I tell you that, again, not to make me the hero out of this. Like I said, I don't volunteer for stuff like that. What, am I crazy? Well, yeah, we've established that. My wife set that up. But when we're obedient to what God says and we say what we need to do on this, and I tell you this, that's why I'm such a fan that when, guys, we have the opportunity for our ladies to attend something, Let's make sure we do everything on our part to make sure it happens. And by the way, there's scholarships available. If you're here for whatever reason and you say, I'd love to go, but for whatever, that's all taken care of. Trust me on that. So I just want to tell you that and uh, some things that we keep in our hearts there. You know, we as I get started and where we're in this, it's the idea a lot of times people think that God wants us to get a you know just to think outside our comfort zone. I'm not a big fan of thinking outside the box or outside my comfort zone. Here's what I believe and here's the most important thing. I believe during this time frame in January particularly and then of course February, March and April, I hope to continue that too. But it's the idea that God wants us to trust him that we're not thinking outside the box or outside our comfort zone, we're just getting a bigger box. Because when we got when we have our trust in Jesus Christ, which allows us access to the Father, then my belief is God's going to give us a bigger box, a bigger box of ideas, a bigger box of trust, uh, and our comfort zone is going to go far beyond anything we thought we could do before because not of our capability, but what God reveals in our trust in Him. And that's what we want to do. We want to try to say, look, Summit, as a church family, we want to have a bigger box. Just that simple. We want to have a God-sized box. Expand our comfort zone, expand what we're thinking about and how to serve and how we function as a family. Our our series continues in our house and our message is a real complicated title. It's called Reach. Let me say that again, Reach. Just that simple, okay? Our big idea here is that Summit Church exists to what? Reach, raise and release God's family into God's kingdom for God's purposes. And you know, when I read that thing, and, and right as I did it this morning, I said, and it's got to be for God's glory too. So God, Summit Church exists. Why are we here? To reach, raise, and release God's family into God's kingdom for God's purposes, for God's glory. That's what our big idea is here as we do this. And as we look at this, uh, you know, I want to just refer you back that our, our word that I believe God gave me for myself and for Summit Church, in a lot of areas in my life, so is this idea of fresh. This word is fresh. And what that means is, is with fresh, that brings about four words for me. Fresh, refresh, new, renew. That's all right in there, okay? And so when I talk about us being fresh, it's the idea there are some things we want to take a fresh look at on how we function, the way we serve, how we relate as a family here. But there's some things that we've done and we're saying, you know what, let's just refresh, let's refresh, make it fresh again and make that happen there. And so that's what we want to do here in this process. But you know, when you look at this thing and we look at becoming the type of church, the church, summit church that God wants us to be, the very first step that we've got to look at is who we are. You know, this means individually and as a family. That is really the reason for in our house. You know, because when we're not locked in, either as individuals or we're not locked in as a community, a family, a faith here, we don't know who we are as a result of not knowing whose we are. You get that? Then very often the individual and the organization, whatever that is, will miss the purpose and destiny for which they exist. And I am I'm literally, in a good way, desperate for us to know why we exist, to be able to move forward on that, to know who we are and whose we are and what that means for us in the world that God's got us planted. You know, being a papa, I explained to you last week with the grandkids, and just yesterday morning, eh, about this time, we were at a baptism for our youngest grandson, right, in Virginia, flew back late last night just to be here with you. And before you get a big head about it, let me just clear that up. Yes, you are worth it. Yes, you are worth it. Okay, now we can move on. So we're here, but as a papa, I've seen the movie Lion King about a gazillion times. Yeah, maybe more. And I don't really know what's the number gazillion mean, you know what I mean? But I think I've seen it about a gazillion times. Now, there's some scenes in that and it's it's, it's really pretty interesting for me. But the one scene, you know, that Simba, he's off in Akunamatata Matata land, which means no worries. That place really exists, right? Oh, yeah. So he's there. But what happens is apparently Pride Land has come apart, you know, the community back there. And Simba is there, and in comes Nala. Nala is the old girlfriend. You remember that one? Okay, guys, just for you. Ready? Might be the most important thing I give you of the day. Hang in there. That is this. I don't care where you're at or what season of life you're in. When an old girlfriend shows up, you got problems. Can I get a witness on that one? All right. We'll let that go. Yeah. (laughs) There's some men right there that's had an old girlfriend show up. Trust me. Okay? So here's the deal. Simba, Nala, all of that. And she says, you've got to go back. Because what's happened is, for that lack of vision, but that point where he was supposed to be, he was denying who he was, whose he was, and his role there. Right? Well, you know, we know the thing where he goes and flops down in the weeds and, you know, because he can't tell her why he can't go back and so forth. My favorite character is Rafiki. Anytime you have a three-foot baboon that's got a stick with a gourd on the end of it and he walks around smacking lions on the head, that boy rocks. Rocks. That's my kind of man. You understand? And so here's Rafiki, and you know you see, and it's that Santiana squashman. Yeah, okay. And then in that moment, then Simba looks at him and says, "What does that mean?" And Rafiki says, "It means you're a baboon. I'm not." And Simba goes, "I think you're confused." And Rafiki says, "Confused? You don't even know who you are." And, you know, you watch it in, nothing's resolved until Simba realizes who he is, whose he is, and so forth. And he has to then go back to where he was supposed to be. And I believe that's true for us as a church. We've got to know who we are. We've got to know whose we are. And we've got to be walking in the fullness of what that means for us. So when we start with this first element of reach, let me expand this. It's to reach the heart of everyone. That's what that means, to reach the heart of everyone. So our purpose, why we exist, reach, raise, release, we're going to take this first word, to reach. Now, we understand that when we talk about that here at Summit, that means that it is the ability of God through the Christ in us and the power of the Holy Spirit, right, to reach the heart of everyone. We're the conduits that God uses for that. That's why he tells us, go and make disciples. That's why he empowers us. That's why Jesus said, you will do these things in greater things in my name. You see, we got to get that. That idea that God is calling Summit Church to reach the heart of everyone, that's us. And we've got to understand what that means for us there to reach. There's so many scriptures, on reaching the heart. There's so many of those. I don't really need these, but do they help me look more distinguished? We'll let that go, won't we? In Romans 10 and verses 9 through 10, here's what he says. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to listen as I share different scriptures with you. I want you to focus on and listen to the word heart. Just grab onto that. He says, because Now, by the way, when I say he, that's a capital H, that's God, the author of this, okay? So bottom line is, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, get it? And believe in your heart. So you confess with your mouth, but that's as a result of what you believe in your heart, and you know it to be true that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Remember last week when I said God says you will, and it's not backed up with an if or a condition? This is a definite for us. You will be saved. Now get this. For with the heart, there's our word again, one believes and is justified. But with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. Let's go back to the Old Testament for a second. Jeremiah 31, 33, when God's talking through the prophet Jeremiah about the new covenant that's coming and what that means. And he says, for this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. We know now that that, that means through the house of Israel, through everyone, right, all of God's descendants there, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them. He says, I will write my law on their minds within them, and I will write it on their hearts. So in that moment that we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, writes his laws on our mind and on our hearts. You know, and that's going to put us in a tougher position because it's harder for us to claim we didn't know what was right and wrong. The biggest problem we face as Christians, it's not I didn't know that was wrong. Oh, no, no, no. God's laws, he said, are written on your hearts and minds. It's having the courage to do what we know in our hearts are right. That's the issue. But then he follows it up, and he comes back to the same issue of the heart and the mind in in Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. But here's the deal. Very often, saints, what we do is we just quote the first part of that Scripture, and God will give us a peace that surpasses all understanding. Beep. But it doesn't stop there. Where God goes with that is, and will guard your heart and mind. That's what God tells us there. Why is that? Well, if you go to the Old Testament, and they all come together for us, Jeremiah just said, what? Heart and mind. God will write our laws. God will write his intentions. God will write his word on our heart and mind. And then over here it says, and in your worst day, God's going to give you a peace that you don't even understand And as a result of what God has placed in your heart and mind, God will guard your heart and your mind. That's what God tells us there. And then he goes on here. And one of the foundational scriptures we used last week out of Ephesians, you remember we captured this series of verses out of the center of Ephesians and the core of that. But again, he says this in Ephesians 3, 17 and 18, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. You see, that's what he's doing, all of this, bringing it together so Christ can dwell in our hearts through faith, being rooted, grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, is what he's telling us here. And when we you read this, here's an important thing for us in this. We read the Bible as we study this, but we know in English, we can say you, meaning singular, But we can also say you, meaning plural. We can say your, your, meaning singular. But then again, the word your also refers to the plural. So when we read it there, God is really talking to us. It's kind of this double-edged sword that he's wielding spiritually on us to say, Look, I'm telling you individually, but I also want you to know it's true with all of you. Or he says, I'm telling all of you together, but I also want you to know it's true with you individually. So in my wife's language from Kentucky, what he's really saying is, y'all and all y'alls, everybody, we're in this together as a church family and a church community. God is calling us to reach the heart of everyone. So where do we have to start? Okay. The first issue is, what does it really mean? You know, we say reach, this idea of intentionally extending, right, to grasp something that is not normally obtainable to intentionally extend or to grasp what is not normally available, right, or obtainable. Now, what I mean by this is, look, this idea of reaching doesn't mean I just sit here and I grab this. That's not reaching. I didn't have to reach for anything. It was right here within my normal grasp, right? I love there's some things on Facebook, and you know they're true because they're on Facebook, okay? But that didn't get a laugh from anybody. I just, okay, we'll let that go. But it was it was kind of cute. It was just a quick video, and a young gal was standing in her kitchen trying to reach the top shelf of a cabinet. And you could see she yelled to her husband, and he comes in, grabs her, lifts her up. She takes it off the top shelf, brings it down. She she thanks him, gives him a kiss, and he goes off. You know, that ability to extend beyond what's normally obtainable. We've got to learn to reach. We've got to learn to stretch ourselves. That goes into where we talked about there. It's not not this idea of a comfort zone. It's not this idea of thinking This is about trusting God and about reaching beyond what would be normally attainable to us on this. And it's important to that because God is commanding us to do that. But what He's telling us to, through all of those scriptures, God is saying, We're his agents to position people to reach, to reach the heart. Now, I know, don't get ahead of yourself saying, well, that's the issue of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, it is. But who do you think the Holy Spirit's going to use? Us looking at somebody that has a need and ignoring it. And the Holy Spirit's going to say, well, I'll just do it without them and that. God has positioned us to respond, to act, to be the agents that the Holy Spirit and that's why he says, so Christ will dwell in your hearts, Holy Spirit, to be his agents is what God is saying here, to do something with this. But God is saying, look, it's not just a question of jumping out and saying, okay, fine. You know, here at Summit Church, we're going to take on the world, and we'll just do all of that. And I go, why don't we start with what God has placed right here with us and the community? Isn't that a great idea? Why don't we show God that we can be faithful with a little so he can trust us with more? And that's where my heart is at on this. We say right now, put a stake right in some church, do five miles. I want to be faithful to that. I know some of you live outside of that, and we want you to keep coming. Don't get me wrong. Do you understand? But the idea that let's take this piece here and prove faithful. What does God tell us in Luke 16.10? Jesus said, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. One who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. Now, let me get this for us. When God says one who is faithful with little, at no time ever did he refer to his people as being little, insignificant, not mattering. Every one of us here matter to God. God's got a great plan and a great love for you and me. How cool is that when you think about it? But he's talking about the things that we do for and with others. Does it seem little and so forth? Have you ever been around somebody and they say, well, you know, that's somebody else can take care of that. It, you kind of get the impression that they, they want you to call them if it's something really big. You know, get a lot of credit for this. I'll take care of the big stuff over here. But this little stuff, it's just kind of beneath me, right? And I can tell you from being in the church, There should be nothing serving here that's beneath any of us, me included. You got that? So he's saying this, that there's not a question of this where the things in little that we do, the actions that we give and what he's saying here, right? But then here, here's the part of this where he emphasizes this in Matthew. And he says, and the king will answer them, truly, as I say to you, as you did to one of the least of my brothers, you did to me. You know, one of the things that, take these off, one of the things that we've got to guard against, if you've been a Christian for longer than an hour, we've got to be careful. And what I mean by that is the longer we walk in our faith, right, I think is the greater risk that potentially what we do is we have this tendency to judge others by their actions and judge ourselves by our good intentions. You know, I meant to do right. They just did it wrong, but I meant to do right. There is this, what I call the pharisaical spirit that we have to guard against. And that's some of that comes where things are just beneath us to do, you know. And the idea that in God's family here, we've got to be very careful with that. And that's just a caution for us, for anybody that walks through the door, for anybody that has a need and anything that goes with it. In fact, Jesus described the Pharisees as those who would give laws to others that they themselves did not live with. That was the definition Jesus gave us of a Pharisee. And so we've got to be very careful. And look, you go, well, Chuck, thanks for telling this. How does that apply to you? It applies to me every doggone day. I'm at risk of that. You know, you get so busy and you think you're important or you think you're this or you think you're that, and there's stuff that's kind of beneath you to do. You understand? You know, one of the things you find in a family is real families that you see that are so strong, it's because there's nothing that's beneath any one of them to do. Just that simple. That's the way God intended His family here to be. I'm going to share a story with you. You know, sometimes God's got to reinforce this, and even with some great people. I, I told you I served on staff with Promise Keepers from 94 to 97, went to conferences all over the country and was blessed to be there. have a friend that was another state, actually in Missouri, and uh, wow, he'd probably been to a dozen, 15 conferences. And on Friday night is when the invitation is given, the evangelism message, and if you're in the field ministry at Promise Keepers, there's no place you wanted to be in the entire world except what we called being on the floor. That meant you were up front and you were ready to receive the men that God was sending down, to be able to pray with them for Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior. It was the only place you ever wanted to be in your entire life. was right there on the floor. And my friend Bob said, yeah, he said, you know, he had done this so many times. We had a laugh afterwards, but you could see, he said he was there, it was St. Louis, and back in those days, St. Louis, Kansas City would just alternate years, right? And he said he was down there praying before the invitation was given, and he was literally praying, and he says, God, I can't wait to see who you bring to me to pray with. He said he even went as far as saying, it could be a bank president, it could be a very high politician. He says, I just can't wait to see who you bring to me to pray with. So Bob is praying, the invitation's giving, and there's 50, 60,000 men at this thing, and, and having been there, they just pour down and respond. And Bob is praying, and at that moment that he knows it's time to pray for whoever God brought to him, he opens his eyes And it's two bikers, the smell of smoke and the vests on and the chains and all of this and so forth. And not sure if they needed a shower or a bath. And he said, I looked at him and I said, congratulations. He said, but I did what real Christian men would do in my position. I closed my eyes and said, God, that's so nice. But who are you going to bring to me to pray with? True story. Now when he opened his eyes, he was expecting that bank president, maybe that politician, but standing in front of him was two bikers for him to pray with. He got the story from the two bikers. The one guy raised in church after high school basically, went on his own, never went back. The other guy had never been in a church. And he asked him how they got there. And they were riding on their motorcycles. And the one guy who had been in church says, you know, my dad has begged me for years, either here or Kansas City, to come to one of these with him. Just do one, one time with him. And he said, I always had excuses. I, there was no reason for me to do that. And he asked me, he says, so how did you get here? He said, we were riding on our motorcycles, radio on, and they were announcing, we still have free tickets for this Promise Keeper event. Ask his buddy, he says, you know what? My dad's been after me for years to go. It's free. Why don't we go to that? He said, sure. Drove up, parked the bike, two free tickets, and they go, invitations given, and God brings these two down. And now here's Bob standing in front of them to pray with them. And the guy said, you know the other thing? My dad's been after me for years. And I, uh, I've always had a reason not to come. I know my dad's here, fifty, sixty thousand 60,000 men. And he says, I'll go home and tell him afterwards what I did. Very often at these where there's another guy that's on the evangelism team, somebody will be praying and they'll just come up and you place hands on them if you're not praying with someone. As Bob started to pray, put his arms around these two guys, then one of the guys came up, put his hands on him. And as Bob prayed and led both of them through their prayer, the guy behind started weeping, which was not normal in that case, except when they opened their eyes, it was the one biker's father that was sitting up in the top area of this huge Coliseum in St. Louis, Missouri, had no reason to come forward God led him down through 50 to 60,000 men. If you've ever seen one of those where the place is just completely packed in front, led him through the crowd and led this father to his son and his best friend. And as they were praying to receive Christ, the father was there weeping as he welcomed his son back home. I never ever ever want to be in a place where we ever think of a person as the least of these. What God is referring to is the least of these in terms of our action and our response. And my heart is crying for Summit to be the church and the church family, that we would never ever once see anyone as the least of these. But we realize that it's the very least that we can do because god has us positioned there to do that you know that's uh, a lot of lessons for us and there's a lot that we've got to do but you know one of the things that we've got to look at is whether you're watching us online or you're in here in person it's not by accident that you're here god brought you here for a reason and we have these conversations with within the staff, the leadership, and the elders, but it's this thing that we believe God has called us to be the church for you wherever you're at on this journey. Last week in the midst of a three or four minute conversation, I talked to a young man who's very early in his journey. I turned around and there was a couple here and they were here at the early service. And he'd been a teaching pastor deep, deep in the Word of God as a teaching pastor. And you know, that's our responsibility as a church for you, that's you, y'all, and y'alls, is that this we want this to be a safe place for wherever you're at in your journey. God's going to meet you there and help you grow in that process. And I believe that with all of my heart. And you know the problem with that? is over the years, I've been in lots of churches. If I said a couple of hundred easily, not all churches wanna do that. And that puts a lot of pressure on us as a church, good pressure, that when we commit to God that we're going to be a church for all generations, all cultures, whether it's through our worship, everything that we do through the message, that means this idea from age four to 104 I've got to be reaching that or our messages do and they say here's what happens in churches most churches the center mass of the church family is 10 to 15 years higher and lower of the age of the pastor heaven help us that means our average age with me here is going to be nearly deceased or deceased you know we don't want that we want a church that's here for all generations, a church where you want to come and bring your kids and your grandkids, a church where you're being fed and strengthened and grown regardless of the season of life or the journey that you're on right there. So God says, we've got to be able to equip that. In Moses, God's speaking through him. And Moses said, if you're pleased with me, this is in Exodus 33, 13, teach me your ways. That really translated to equip me so I may know you and continue to find favor with you and remember that this nation is your people this church is your people he would say going back to Ephesians and scripture there he said and he gave we know the fivefold ministry apostles prophets evangelists shepherds and teachers to equip the Saints for the work of the ministry, for the building of the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son. So when you think of it this way, our responsibility is to create a safe place with the Word of God, with worship, with opportunities, with community groups, serving opportunities, growth opportunities, all of that, right? To equip you in the faith. For the purpose and destiny for which God himself created you. We acknowledge that's not an easy thing to do. But we also tell you this. We don't care if it's easy. We know what God has called Summit to. And what we're supposed to be doing. And the kind of church that he's called us to be. You know, and part of this is. I feel like part of the responsibility is we've got to stir in each other the good works. And we can't allow us to sit back and say, well, you know, I've been a Christian 10 years, when in fact what we're really saying is, well, I've been a Christian one year 10 times. That's not what we're asking here at Summit. But every time to grow, you know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians, I fed you milk, not solid food, because you were not ready for it. And even now he says you're not ready. That's not where we're at. It's not where we want to be. We were not intended to be and stay as infants in the faith. None of us were. And I take personal responsibility that this will not be a church that allows you to remain to be an infant in the faith. It doesn't serve you. It's not what God's called us to be. You know, and in Hebrews, right, it says for this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again in the basic principles. You need milk, not food, but just get that first part. You ought to be teachers. I'm gonna challenge you in these next two weeks after this. You should be doing something to live out your faith in this church, the community, and where God has you planted. That's why God has you here. That's what we want to help you with. It cannot let you sit back and just be content having milk when in your heart you're craving meat and solid food and you want to grow. And I'm telling you as your pastor... We're going to work very hard on this, and I'm committed to you. And I said it again. I'll say it over and over. We're committed to help you grow in your faith in all of the days that end in why. And we know this. It's not just about you coming to church on Sunday morning and thinking 35 minutes and in incredible worship is going to be enough to deal with a 24-7 Satan. We must position you give you what you need resource why a big on the app there's so much there to help you stand firm in your faith and grow that's what god's called us to do at this church and i believe very strongly on that our primary responsibility then is the equipping of the saints regardless of where you're at in your journey and we want to help you do that and in the weeks ahead we're going to talk to you about what some of the opportunities are, but challenge you and encourage you to start stepping forward. And and really, I, I want to be used by God to stir in you a discontent about staying right where you're at. I believe God wants all of us to have a holy discontent about just staying where we're at because He has so much more for us. And I believe that's what God has called Summit Church to be, is a place that's safe for you to have this holy discontent and say, how can I stretch beyond this with that reach part of that? So whether it's leading in a community group or being a part of one that you haven't been, Summit Kids, we can go right on down and you'll have more information on that. But I'm just telling you, I believe with all of my heart, I have a responsibility to you And that is, the pastor here, create a safe place for the Holy Spirit to create in you a holy discontent. And let's get after this thing, saints. Let's get after this thing in a big way because that's why God has us positioned here. As we go into our response time, I'm going to to ask you to just pray and begin asking God the questions that only God can answer for you. But the real question is, How do you respond to this what is god stirring inside of you and we have several opportunities for response on this and we do this with intentionality there's the cross and you can see there's prayer concerns there i told you on the connect card the bottom is a prayer concern it can go in the the bottom and we want to join you we have an incredible prayer team that is standing by ready to pray with you if you just want to sit and pray There's communion available on both sides. I want to encourage you as we go into our time of worship to begin asking God, God, what do you want to do in and through me? Maybe, maybe you need to pray and ask God to give you a holy discontent that you won't be satisfied until God is stirring in you and moving in you. But whatever it is, one, ask God. Two, please respond. It's safe, it's safe to go and pray with someone. It's safe to go take communion together. It's safe to go to the cross and pray and put a prayer of concern there. And that's what we wanna do, create a safe place For the Holy Spirit to stir this holy discontent that you want to reach and be used by God to reach the heart of others. Everybody that's out there, let's pray together. Father, we thank you and we love you, Lord, and we praise you. Father, I ask that you would stir in us this holy discontent. That you would stir in us, Father the desire on our heart to be used by you to reach the heart of everyone. Knowing it's not us and the credit is not ours, but through the Christ that lives in us in our heart, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would be used as willing vessels, Father, for your purposes and your kingdom, for your glory. And, Father, may we give you all of the credit, the honor, and the praise. And we ask all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and all of God's family said, Amen. Let's worship.